The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Our guest this week is an acclaimed music supervisor, producer, and entrepreneur who has worked with BMG, HBO, Reebok, and others. Recently, our guest has joined up with Sync Licensing Startup SyncFloor to become its Director of Sales and Business Development to help foster the platform's global expansion and strategic partnerships. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.syncfloor.com. We are happy to welcome David Rojas on the Break the Business Podcast. Hi, David. How you doing? Thanks for having me. So excited to have you. I can't get enough of the people from Sync Floor. You are not the first Sync Floor guest we've had, and I certainly hope you will not be the last. A few months back, we had Shelly Lewis and Sejan McFarland on the show. They talked about this really great platform, uh, the particularly the uh, way that the platform is unique compared to the other sync licensing platforms out there. You guys are a little non-traditional. You guys are kind of doing things a different way and creating a lot of value for licensors and licensees in the process. For the uninitiated, for the people who are new to SyncFloor, who maybe joined this podcast in the last few weeks, tell us a little bit about what, in your view, makes SyncFloor unique compared to the other platforms out there. Well, I think it's kind of tethered to uh, what I've, been kind of focused on in the last few years of the career, which is um, trying to find unique ways for independent artists or unique um, versions of existing ways for independent artists to retain some sort of, you know, true control over their IP while they're going through the learning process, which I think is is something that a platform or a marketplace like SyncFloor can offer. You can actually understand, you know, get an understanding of the business and also have, um, content and, and stuff in the rotation there. Um, but so to, to answer your question, it's kind of a, um, you know, I've been through the different machinations of sync licensing and seen kind of how that's evolved over the last 15 years. The future of it represents something like what sync floor is established and where, where I think it's headed. Well, that's um, pretty interesting in terms of having benefiting from your perspective of seeing where sync licensing was a decade and a half ago when you started and where it is now. I'd like to probe that a little further because I think that's interesting. What in your view is sort of the biggest sea change that you've seen in sync in terms of how it affects indie artists? I think indie artists, um, what, I, what I've there were a lot of gatekeepers and there still are gatekeepers. There's still, there, there are still pathways that um, don't, aren't very uh, different than what they looked like back then. But I do feel like there's an overall awareness from independent artists um, to get an understanding of, of how the business part of it works instead of relying on, you know, management teams and agencies and, and other, other people in the, in the middle there to kind of, navigate those channels for you. I think there's a growing swell of independent artists now that truly want to understand and truly do understand how they can exploit their, uh, their IP out in the marketplace and where they don't understand there is a very direct way to learning that and to getting to that, 
to getting to that point. And, you know, maybe a decade, 15 years ago, it was a little bit more, it's, to me, it kind of simulated a little bit more of what the record business was looking like, meaning like, okay, here's Gatekeeper X, here's a barrier to entry, Y, and then, you know, here's result Z, right? And, and you may not really understand how that machine is operating in the background, but you're getting placements, your, your, your single, which is, which is buzzing on the radio, is getting a, you know, a campaign attached to it, and you know, things are happening. I think there's a little bit of understanding of the knowledge of how that actually works that independent artists are seeking out, have, and there's way more access to understanding that than, than there was when I first started kind of getting into that world. Whether it was the lack of knowledge that indie artists had about Sync 15 years ago, or whether it was the industry structures that existed 15 years ago that sort of kept indie artists out of sync. You're absolutely Mm -hmm. right in that assessment. You know, Mm -hmm. this was not the playground of indie artists even 10 years ago. And now you're starting to see a lot of artists really proliferate and actually make great incomes in sync. And particularly with what's going on with the pandemic right now and live venues closing, indie artists are more and more dependent on these alternative revenue streams to keep themselves going, to move their careers forward. And I know Sync Floor plays a big role in that regard. Tell the listeners a little bit about, in terms of just broad strokes, what is an indie artist's experience going to look like utilizing Sync Floor? What are some of the things that Sync Floor does to create opportunities, to create revenue-generating opportunities for indie mm-hmm. artists? Well, for an indie artist and for a uh, catalog, um, or let's just, let's just break it down to the artist that's himself, him or herself. They have the ability to number one, uh, enter the marketplace, represent, um, the catalog that they want to put forward. There is a more than fair kind of industry, uh, rate on in terms of where sink floor falls and what, what we take as a percentage as opposed to our, you know, competitors and people in the industry. Um, I think there's also a, um, I think there's a level of independence with how you can kind of uh, focus or concentrate the material that you want to put forward on Sync Place. There is a really cool artist platform just recently updated for independent artists specifically that's a little bit of a widget for Sync licensing specifically, where that didn't really exist previously or where it didn't really take uh, you know, gain steam in other platforms. But I think um, just that alone to be able to say, okay, here's on my link tree, here is, here's my, you know, my TikTok, my, you know, my Spotify, here's how you can stream my music, here's how you can see all of the content that I have, and now here's also how you can directly license my music. That's really and, interesting. So- and that, that's a really cool benefit for an indie artist, you know, and for, and for a catalog partner or a label or a publisher to offer to their artists, you know? So it's, I think things like that, that are, that are, you know, crafting ways for artists to say, Oh, okay. I, I, I see where I can put this in my chain of, of, uh, you know, output. That's a really exciting development for indie artists. So you see sync floor being another branch on the link tree. You know, if mm-hmm. somebody s- sees your video on TikTok or becomes a fan of you, they go to the link tree and they're going to see the socials. They're going to see the TikTok. They're going to see the YouTube. And you're saying that 
the ways that which people can use your music for sync is just going to be one other thing that's on that tree and it's going to be right there and sync floor is going to be the mechanism that provides that for artists that's super exciting and now look you've just joined sync floor recently after a long career as a producer an entrepreneur music supervisor you've done a whole bunch of things in this space and mm-hmm. I know you have a strong bent towards helping indie artists, and I imagine you wouldn't join up with an innovative company like SyncFloor unless you had some big ideas in mind for what you want to do with this platform to create opportunities for indie artists on the business development and sales side. So can you let us uh, peek behind, you know, maybe look into that crystal ball <laughs> a little bit in your wildest dreams? What do you want to do to create value for indie artists through this platform, say, five years from now? Yeah, that's that's actually, to be honest with you, that's one that I've thought, that's an, an answer that I thought I would develop to have, I would grow to have through through my time there beyond just, uh, you know, being there for, you know, a month or so. So to answer that in earnest, it's it's evolving as I learn more about how this can, how this is, and the, the whole company is growing and, and, and learning things like we just talked about with the the feature of kind of being able to add it to a link tree or creating like a, a licensing widget. Those are things that are evolving and growing. So I, I could answer that question now, but I think I would probably give you a, a better answer in the next three months and maybe a better one in nine months, but I get um, it. You're just trying to angle to get back on the podcast again. I hear <laughs> that's actually a much smarter answer than the question I asked. And let me tell you why. What sync look looks looked like even a year ago is radically different than what it is now, and I imagine what it's going to look like a year from now is radically different than what it's going to be today. And so, I would imagine the thing that's on the top of your mind in terms of how you're going to approach this job is, I got to be nimble. I have to be ready to turn on a dime and change with the industry and change with the needs of indie artists as they change. And it sounds like you're taking the right approach. And yeah. so, I dig that. I dig that a lot. All right, now I want to I want to benefit from your experience here because you've done it all in this space, and I would imagine you probably get a lot of artists who come to you who want to bend your ear, who want to get some advice about getting into sync. They're saying my gigs aren't what they used to be because of the pandemic. I think I have a lot of great music that could be used in television and movies and video games and commercials, but I'm at zero when it comes to sync. How do I get started? When an artist asks you that "how do I get started" question, and they're yeah. starting from zero, what do you tell them? One thing I tell them is, from a baseline level, understand that you have the ability to both navigate your 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 business understanding and it not affect your creativity. And maybe that's not something that that re- resonates on the ears of this generation. But that was a big thing for my generation of artists to to understand that that was feasible for us to kind of walk both of these worlds and and do it properly right do it efficiently so as a, if that's the baseline then beyond that then i would say really understand um try to understand in layman's terms there's a lot of different pathways to getting there what it means when we say synchronize synchronization and licensing learn start from learning what those terms individually mean and understand what intellectual property means. All these things are very, they're, they're very kind of out there and available to understand, but you'd be surprised how just kind of the, the phrasing and the language and the words are very important to understanding the, 
the diaspora of what it means. One step deeper than that, it would be understand who you're, who the person is that you're trying to communicate to give your music to in order to, to sync and license it. Who is that? What's that persona? What is that person? What goes on in a editor's mind when they're shuffling through thousands of tracks to try to make a cut by temper, you know, to, you know, get a whole bunch of edits done in a day. Try to figure out what a music supervisor is looking for in, in terms of like their schedule. There's the, all these things are available. These are, these are all resources that didn't exist or they were kind of hidden behind a giant curtain um, and not accessible. But now you can actually kind of find these resources. But there's pacing between a music supervisor's life cycle and, and what they look for, when and why, and an editor's life cycle and what they look for, when and why. And when, try to figure out the touch points of when your music needs to hit those people's hands or their inboxes. Secondarily, do a, do a try to do a really good job of hyper, you know, uh, categorizing your music and not, not, not really genre specific, but emotive using emotive language. That's one, that's another thing that sync floor is really excellent at is the, just be, the ability to find music naturally through emotive language. That's a, it's an amazing part of the search tool. But if you can start thinking about your music as you're, as you know, as you're listening to it about how would I describe it to somebody that doesn't real that doesn't speak any kind of music language and, but still you need to get the point across and you're not able to play it for them. So then think about it in that way and try to find descriptors. Um, in addition to that, when you're submitting music, embed the try to be as descriptive about the actual titling of the, the transmit, the link or whatever. Try to be very like establish some sort of metadata, you know, protocol and how you're actually titling and labeling your tracks and the purpose and who, who the who the client is or who the person that you're pitching it to is. You'd be surprised how much those details stand out in this array of, you know, track names and artist names and, you know, tr audio track one and 11 and, you know, I mean, those, those things. And they all seem kind of, maybe it seems really on the nose, but I mean, it's really important, it, it, you know, and those, those kind of things, if you have some of those foundational things in place, you just feel like you have a, a wherewithal. And as somebody who has represented a great deal of music licensees in my time, I can tell you that we really appreciate that metadata to help us find the stuff we're looking for. When we're yeah. on one of these databases and we see a hundred pages of songs, like the more information that you can give us to help us find the right song and hopefully make your song the right song, yeah. the happier we're going to be as licensees. And I also appreciate the insight you gave about the importance of being educated and know about sync in general and learning the unique nature of the various audiences that exist for that need to uh, license a sync project from you learning what their unique wants are going to be and tailoring your approach to it i love it that's yeah. great and you gave a lot of great advice there and i sort of want to flip it around based on what you've said and now ask you what do you tend to see artists making the mistakes most with when it comes to sync like what is the one mistake when you see artists trying to improve their their sync uh, opportunities, where do you see them messing up a lot? Where do you see them misstepping? And you know, how, how would you have them fix it? I mean, it's, um, it varies based on the worlds that you're in. Um, I spend a lot of time uh, with, 
you know, ad music. So doing commercials and in that world, I can give you the, that for looking through that lens. Well, a lot of times what's happened is if you have a, you have a creative brief that you look at and you kind of get an idea from that brief, what their music needs are, or sometimes they'll be very explicit about what those needs are. Um, then you have a handful of artists that you're that that you that are coming to the table with ideas. I've always told people try to keep it to under three, some max four. You know, for the purpose of you have to be able to let the client know that you are discerning about what you're doing, and that you are able to make critical choices about your creative through your creativity and kind of separate yourself, be an executive producer of your own, an editor of your own creative output in that way. And that you address it with one that's totally on the nose, exactly what they asked for, an alternate version of that, and some and then your interpretation of that creative brief. But keep but allow them to kind of engage in what you're doing by following the exact direction and then taking them on a little bit of a journey through your creative expression while still falling under the parameters of that creative brief. Little things like that, I think have been, you know, helpful relative to that part of the industry. And I've seen some successes with some bands and groups that do that rather than sending, you know, well, here's 15 that kind of fit because they fall into this, the tempo and, you know, because it said happy or something like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's, it's a little bit of like, be, be your own editor, you know, yeah. Well, you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.sinkfloor.com. And maybe if you want to make Sinkfloor a part of your overall career strategy, maybe you want to add Sinkfloor as a branch to your link tree. You can go to that website and learn more about how to do that. David Rojas, our guest, he is a music supervisor, producer, and entrepreneur who is the new director of sales and business development for Sinkfloor. Congrats on the new gig. Before we let you go, David, one last uh, question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? It can be about sync or anything you want. Um, that's also an evolving question, but I would just, <laughs> uh, my, my very short answer would be um, always write from your, always write and, and, and be your own creative self and the days of trying to fall underneath the, uh, the, you know, the purview of a certain, genre or arena or whatever those are over write and create freely as you feel and believe me if it's authentic the the pathways will 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 be there or you will find out where that you know you'll find where those where if it's related to sync if it's related to performing in front of crowds any way that you express yourself there are absolutely no uh no limits to to just you know express yourself freely and there's pathways now where you can actually make a career out of that and monetize that. So don't suffer any of your creative output thinking that you have to kind of fold into these, uh, these constructs. Those days are over. Have at it. Heck yeah. That is tremendous advice. One more time with that website listeners find out more about our guest's work by visiting sinkfloor.com. David, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to the break the business podcast. 